0: And now it's time to play our opening. (laughs) Here it is. Here it is. Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, weekdays, on the Podbean app, which you can download onto your smartphone. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. And is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609-3711. All right, this is Episode 8 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious last November's presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't let me say that on the radio. And yes, there is all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. And so, we do the live stream at noon Eastern, eleven Central every day, and then it becomes a podcast, which is available everywhere. And our marketing guy, a really bright young fellow, you know, w- w- would you mind? Would you mind putting together a um, a promo? You know, we can run a promo on Spotify. And I'm like, really? Okay, all right. So here's the promo that I put together (laughs) to run on Spotify. And I don't know how long it's going to run, but here it is. Of course the election was stolen. Of course the vaccines aren't safe. Of course boys can't become girls. Hey, I'm Doc Washburn, and I'm not afraid to say things we all know are true. So how soon do you think they'll kick me off this platform for telling the truth? Probably pretty soon. So check out my show, The Doc Washburn Show, before they shut me up. So that's the promo. I guess it's going to run on Spotify. And the the reason I said it was because after uh, Joe Rogan cut his uh, $100 million deal with Spotify, there were stories in the media that some of the Spotify employees were upset with some of the things he'd said on some of his podcasts, and there were stories that, well, you know, some of those podcasts aren't available anymore. I'm like, really? So, anyway, that's, that's what's going to be out there. Okay, so when you do what I do for a living, which up until recently was a talk radio show on a local radio station in Little Rock, Arkansas, You listen to nationally syndicated hosts because you want to learn what the big guys are doing, right? And they always seem to be in a different world. You have no reason to think they will ever hear of you, much less mention your name. So, for instance, when Mark Levin's producer reached out to me a couple of years ago and said, Hey, uh, Mark really liked it when you interviewed him about his most recent book, he's going on vacation soon. Would you like to fill in? I mean, the response is like, yes, of course I'm pinching myself. Please don't wake me up. (laughs) He can't believe it. And the idea that the great one, Mark Levin allowed me to fill in for him 11 times. It was just a surreal experience and just such an honor. Um, Other pleasant surprises recently. Hearing that Dan Bongino has been talking about me on his national talk radio show. And having a chance to talk to him. A DM, you know, direct message. It's what Twitter calls a private message. And apparently I'm going to be on his show soon. So I'm really looking forward to that also. I'm told that the wonderful Sandy Rios, who does... The nationally syndicated morning talk show on American Family Radio actually mentioned me this morning, and uh, so it's uh, <laughs> it's been it's been pretty uh, a pretty amazing ride since we started this live stream slash podcast. Uh, the response we've been getting, I think we got over twelve thousand downloads of the first seven episodes. 47 states, 18 countries, and I've just been flabbergasted. You know, I I said when Cumulus Media fired me that God closes one door and opens another, but um, the response has been amazing. All right, now, I I want to talk about something, um, and that is a double standard of justice in this country, a double standard of justice in this country. Recently, a guy threatened to kill a United States congressman on social media and then drove all the way from Oregon to Washington, D.C. Capitol Hill police recommended he be arrested. Guess what Joe Biden's Justice Department decided to do? I'll tell you in a couple, but first... We got some breaking news, and this kind of dovetails into this whole double standard of justice. Attorney General Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland is speaking, even as we speak, before the U.S. House Judiciary Committee. And the great, the great US Representative Louis Gohmert was questioning. Merrick Garland, just a few minutes ago. We call him Judge Gomert uh, a lot because he was a judge before he was U.S. representative. And I know that when I did my local show in Little Rock, Arkansas, my listeners wished that we had a U.S. congressman in Arkansas who is willing to speak truth to power like the great Louis Gohmert. And here he is from just a few minutes ago with attorney general Merrick Garland house judiciary committee. And he eventually gets around to talk about the double standard of justice. And he knocked the cover off the ball. If I may use a baseball analogy here in the postseason.
1: Thank you, judge Garland for being here. Uh, you said A moment ago, you couldn't imagine a parent being labeled a domestic terrorist, but parents all over the country believe that's exactly what you labeled them by your memo indicating you were going to get involved in board meetings, school board meetings, because of the threat of domestic terrorism. So if you can't imagine a parent being labeled a domestic terrorist, I would encourage you to redo your memo so it's not so perceived as being so threatening to people concerned about their kids' education. But I want to take you to uh, January 6th. It's a very common topic here for uh, people. Um, Has any defendant involved in the January 6th events been charged with insurrection? I don't believe so.
0: Boom. Uh,
1: Well, that is the word most used by Democrats here on Capitol Hill by January 6th. But no one has been charged with it that we could find either. How many protesters on January 6th were charged with obstructing an official proceeding for four to six hours? Do you know? I don't know the
2: exact number. Uh, Obviously, there are 650 who were arrested. Some for assaulting officers, some for obstructing proceedings, some for conspiring to uh, obstruct proceedings. I can get you the numbers for each of the specific. Thank
1: you. I'd be interested in getting that number. But regarding the men who broke the glass in the two doors there at the speaker's lobby, when the two Capitol police been standing there, moved to the side to allow them access, uh, were any of those people who broke glass and did damage to those doors working for the FBI or other federal law enforcement entities?
2: I, uh, and this is an ongoing criminal investigation, and I'm really not at liberty to discuss. There have been some filings um, um, of, uh, in the nature of discovery, which has been provided to the defendants, Uh, But uh, other than that, I can't uh, discuss this
0: now. Wow. Seems like it'd be easy to say that none of these people were agent provocateurs, right? None of these people were federal agents egging things on, right? Seems like it'd be easy to say, oh, no, no, these are all those awful Trump supporters. Of course, we didn't have any federal agents trying to make things worse, breaking glass Ongoing federal criminal investigation, I get it, but seems like if this wasn't a setup by the FBI, it'd be pretty easy to say. Uh, Congressman Gohmert, with all due respect, what are you, nuts? Of course, federal agents wouldn't be involved in something like that. But uh, Mayor Garland can't say that, can he? Sometimes not to deny is to confirm. Here's more with Judge Gomert, U.S. Representative Louis Gomert, a great American out of Texas, and the um, hapless Attorney General Merrick Garland.
1: Well, we've seen some of those filings that talk about persons one through 20 something. Uh, were those persons one designated by number? Were those people that were employed by the FBI or federal? Uh, entities, or were they confidential informants?
0: See, if you can't get the answer one way, you try to get it another way. God bless Louis Gomert.
1: Again, I, I don't um, know those specifics,
2: but I do not believe that any of the people you're mentioning um, charged in the indictment uh, were either one.
1: Uh, was a determination ever made as to who repeatedly struck Roseanne Boylan in the head with a rod before she died?
0: Whoa! See, most Americans have never heard that name before. Let me back it up. Let me give you some context here. The mainstream media all reported five people died at the Capitol January 6th. That wasn't true. And then most conservatives were like, nope, just one person, Ashley Babbitt, who was assassinated by Lieutenant Michael Bird. no warning. But after months, after months, we find out, no, no, actually two people. Roseanne Boyd was one of the people down, pushed down into the tunnel and killed down there, and Capitol Hill police took her body to Steny Hoyer's office. A lot of people have heard about Ashley Babbitt. Hardly anybody's heard about Roseanne Boyd. Now, the great Julie Kelly over at American Greatness, amgreatness.com, she has written extensively about both Ashley Babbitt and Roseanne Boyd. God bless Louis Gomer for bringing up something that probably a lot of people in Congress don't even know about. The murder of Roseanne Boyd. So let me... Let me let me back this up. Let us let's, let's hear, Gomert's question again. Either one.
1: Uh, was a determination ever made as to who repeatedly struck Roseanne Boylan in the head with a rod before she died?
0: I'm sorry, I said Boyd. It was Boyland. Roseanne Boyland. Uh,
2: again, I think this was a matter that was investigated um, by the U.S. Attorney's Office,
1: and um, well, there's a witness the- on video saying. Uh, that it was a D.C. metro policeman. I didn't know if you'd been able to confirm or deny that.
0: Or if you're even interested in it, for that matter. See, that's that's the underlying implication, of course.
1: Well, on June 22nd of 2016, Judge, most of the Democrat members of Congress took over the House floor, and for the first time in American history, members of Congress obstructed official proceedings not for four to six hours, but for virtually 26 hours, not just violating over a dozen House rules, but actually committing the felony that some of the January 6th people are charged with. That was during the Obama administration. Nobody has been charged. And those kind of things where you let Democrat members of Congress off for the very thing that you're viciously going after people that were protesting on January 6 gives people the indication that there is a two-tiered justice system here in America. Preach. Um, you know well, you've been a circuit court judge. You know well that confinement, pretrial confinement, is not ever to be used as punishment. Yet, there are people... And, and understand, as a former tough law and order judge, I would sentence everyone, regardless of their party, who did violence or d- committed crimes on January 6th to, to appropriate sentences. But for heaven's sake, they are being abused in the D.C. jail. Have you done an inspection over there of the D.C. jail since uh, your department has some jurisdiction?
2: So, my understanding is Judge Lamberth, who I respect very much,
1: has... Yeah, he, he held the, the, the uh, warden in contempt, but we haven't seen well, he, improvement. He,
2: he asked for a review, and um, the Justice Department is conducting a review. The marshals did it, uh, an inspection the other day, which was reported in the news, uh, and the uh, Civil Rights Division is examining the circumstances. This is the District of Columbia Jail. It's not uh, uh, Bureau of Prisons, you understand
0: time of the general yeah but that's not the point that's not the point the point is that you are holding federal prisons in the district of columbia prison regardless of the fact that it's not a federal prison so yeah that's uh, that's not the point I'm going to try to keep an eye on the uh, ongoing live testimony of Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, before the uh, the House Judiciary Committee. We might we might dip back into it, but I want to talk about this double standard of justice. Okay, double standard of justice. So Deborah Hine over at American Greatness has a new column entitled DOJ Allegedly Refused to Arrest Maniac Who Traveled to D.C. to Kill Matt Gates After Capitol Police Recommended. Anybody talking about this today? I, I don't know because I can't listen to everybody else anymore because I'm always preparing for this. But here's what it says. A deranged lefty traveled to Washington, D.C. after stating a desire on social media to kill United States Representative Matt Gaetz, Republican of Florida, and, and, and after the Capitol Police recommended that he be arrested, the Biden Justice Department refused to do so. Got it? They refuse to do so. So I, I think it's my duty here as our country descends into lawlessness from the top to share with you what U.S. Representative Matt Gates, first district of Florida, which is extreme western Florida, Pensacola, that area, said on the floor of the United States House yesterday. This is uh, incredible to me.
3: I thank the gentleman for yielding because I think someone may be trying to kill me. And if they are successful, I would like my constituents and my family to know who stopped their arrest. Madam Speaker, on October 8th, 2021, a Twitter handle uh, styled CIA Bob is at your door. Tweeted to repmattgates. Looky here, pal. I lived in Portland. Portland has ordered a hit on you. I accepted the contract. Have a good day. Following this tweet, this individual traveled to Washington, D.C., and the Capitol Police uh, recommended his arrest. That's information that was just shared with me by the Investigations and Threat Assessment section of the Protective Services Bureau, and specifically George DeCesso. And George shared with me that the Capitol Police recommended the arrest of this individual and that the Department of Justice refused to do so decline to do so. And on the eve of the attorney general testifying before the Judiciary Committee tomorrow, it is just yet another example of the Department of Justice having a double standard. If my name weren't Gates, if it were Omar or Tlaib, you bet this person would have been arrested because that's what the Capitol Police recommended. But the Department of Justice doesn't seem to care so much when it's Republicans. What are we to do with this?
0: What are we to do with this? I'm going to put the, um, the article from Deborah Hind over at amgreatness.com on my Facebook page here when the, uh, the live stream is over. But um, in subsequent tweets, this CIA Bob is at your door guy told Matt Gates, you will meet me, run and hide, and last rights are according to me last rights so uh, did cia bob grow up catholic this is uh, this is scary stuff here capitol hill police said okay this guy needs to be arrested biden's justice department was like nah eh. no now, I'd forgotten about this, but Gates is a member of the House Judiciary Committee. I wonder if he's had a chance to uh, question Attorney General Merrick Garland today. That should be int- pretty interesting. We'll look for that in just a second. But Deb Hind, o- o- over at uh, American Greatness reminds one and all, just a little over four years ago, it should be remembered, a left-wing activist from Belleville, Illinois, Traveled to Washington, D.C. with the intention of killing as many Republicans as he could. A horrific shooting ensued at an Alexandria, Virginia park where 24 Republican congressmen had gathered to practice for the next day's congressional baseball game for charity. 66-year-old James Hodgkinson shot U.S. House Majority Whip Steve Scalise U.S. Capitol Police Officer Crystal Greiner, congressional aide Zach Barth, and lobbyist Matt Micah. A 10-minute shootout took place between Hodgkinson and officers from the Capitol and Alexandria Police before officers shot and killed James T. Hodgkinson. Now, you would think, you would think that Merrick Garland... Would we'll be aware of that, right? One moment. Got to sneeze. But um, what does it tell you that a guy can threaten a member of co- Congress and Biden's Justice Department says, "Nah, now nah, we're not gonna. We're not gonna do anything about it." Okay, we're looking to see if Gates has uh, has interrogated Garland yet. Uh, Julie Kelly says on Twitter, Amer, uh, "Attorney General Merrick Garland." Testify before House Judiciary this morning. She says it's time for the Republicans to confront Garland on his abusive partisan prosecution of January 6th protesters. Several questions for Jim Jordan and colleagues to ask Garland how many protesters have been denied bail under pretrial detention orders sought by Justice Department. How many pre-trial detention motions total have been filed against January 6 protesters? Is Garland okay with nonviolent offenders being incarcerated for more than a year until a trial can begin? Why is the Justice Department slow-walking discovery and still, still has no platform available to share digital evidence with defense counsel? Why does DOJ continue to fight motions to release video footage from capital security system question kind of answers itself doesn't it too much exculpatory stuff in there. Why does DOJ consider 14,000 hours of surveillance recordings, highly sensitive material. I'm saying good questions, Julie, good questions. As we search to see if Gates has had his his day in court, his chance to uh, interrogate Garland yet. Can't find it yet. So in the meantime, what did Jim Jordan, conservative firebrand Jim Jordan, what did... uh, he asked Merrick Garland about. We've got that.
4: We've got that. So here goes. The chairman just said the Trump DOJ was political and went after their opponents. Are you kidding me? Three weeks ago, the National School Board Association writes President Biden asking him to involve the FBI in local school board matters. Five days later, the Attorney General of the United States does just that. Does exactly what a political organization asked to be done. Five days we've said Republicans on this committee have sent the attorney general 13 letters in the last six months it takes weeks and months to get a response eight of the letters we've got nothing they just gave us the finger said we're not going to get back to you and all our letters were actually sent to the attorney general here's a letter sent to someone else asking for a specific thing to be done and in five days. The Attorney General doesn't. Here's what the October 4th memo said. Quote, I'm directing the FBI to convene meetings with local leaders. These meetings will open dedicated lines of communication for threat reporting. Dedicated lines of communication for threat reporting. A snitch line on parents. Started five days after a left-wing political organization. asked for it. You know, it's almost like...
0: Whoever is... Pulling Biden's strings is also pulling Attorney General Merrick Garland's strings. And they want a politicized Justice Department. Here's more from Jim Jordan from just a few minutes ago.
4: That's not political. I don't know what is. Where's the dedicated lines of communication with local leaders regarding our southern border? Something that frankly is a federal matter. Where's the dedicated lines of communication on violent crime in our cities? Violent crime that has went up in every major urban area where Democrats have defunded the police. Nope, can't do that. Can't do that. The Biden Justice Department is going to go after parents who object to some racist hate America curriculum. Nope, can't focus on the southern border where 1.7 million illegal encounters have happened this year alone. A record, a record number. MS-13 can just waltz right across the border, but the Department of Justice, they're gonna open up a snitch line on parents. Think about this. The same FBI that Mr. Garland is directing to open dedicated lines of communication for reporting on parents just a few years ago spied on four American citizens associated with President Trump's campaign. Clinton campaign hired Perkins Cooey, who hired Fusion GPS, who hired Christopher Steele, who put a bunch of garbage together, gave it to the FBI. They used that as the basis to open up an investigation into a presidential campaign.
0: Yeah, Christopher Steele dossier. They all knew it was garbage. And now ABC News, George, step on all of us, does this little patty cake interview. As if Christopher Steele is a legit guy instead of a guy being paid by Stephanopoulos' old boss, Hillary. Just, just so you know. Here's more from uh, Jim Jordan just a little bit ago.
4: Oh, and then there was Mr. Zussman. Mr. Zussman, who worked at Perkins Kiwi, the firm hired by the Clinton campaign, He cut out all the middlemen. He just said, I'm just going to go directly to the FBI, and not just anyone at the FBI. Who'd he go to? Jim Baker, the chief counsel of the FBI, handed him a bunch of false information, told him false information, and of course, he's been indicted by the special counsel. A few weeks ago, the IG at the Department of Justice released a report that found that the FBI made over 200 errors, omissions, and lies in just 29 randomly selected FISA applications. Don't worry, the Attorney General of the United States just put them in charge of a dedicated line of communication to report on parents who attend school board meetings. Mr. Chairman, Americans are afraid. For the first time during my years in public office, first time, I talk to the, the, the good folks I get the privilege of representing in the fourth district of Ohio, folks all around the country, they tell me for the first time, they fear their government. And frankly, I think it's obviously why, obvious why. Every single liberty we enjoy under the First Amendment has been assaulted over the last year.
0: And that's where it uh, cuts off. That's where it cuts off. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Our civil liberties have been assaulted over the last year, haven't they? Now, I, I want to I see if I could find uh, Mike Johnson, Congressman, Talking to uh, Garland about the conflict of interest. The conflict of interest, Representative Mike Johnson. This is serious stuff here. Well, it's all serious. Mike Johnson, Republican of Louisiana. Let's see what he's asking Merrick Garland.
5: Thank you, Mr. Attorney General, millions of Americans are deeply concerned today that instead of addressing the most pressing issues facing our country, we're watching the Biden-Garland Justice Department be weaponized, that you are using your authorities now to advance far-left policies and attack Republican-led state actions and erode constitutional norms. The most recent case in point has been brought up this morning. Your memorandum directing the FBI and other Department of Justice officials to get involved in local school board debates. It concerns us that it was issued just five days after the National School Board Association sent a letter to President Biden which referred to concerned parents as the equivalent of, quote, domestic terrorists and perpetrators of hate crimes." unquote, given the timing of all this, your memo appears to have been motivated by politics more than any pressing federal law enforcement need. This is concerning to us, and it 's worthy of investigation. It also concerns us that your actions may have been motivated by your family 's financial
0: stake in this hello your family's financial stake whoa 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 what this issue.
5: Published reports show that your son-in-law co-founded a company called Panorama Education. We now know that that company publishes and sells critical race theory and so-called anti-racism materials to schools across the country.
0: (laughs) Oh, my goodness.
5: And it works with school districts nationwide to obtain and analyze data on students, often without parental consent. Whoa!
0: Whoa! Whoa! So it sounds like the Attorney General's a crook.
5: On its website, the company brags that it's surveyed more than 13 million students in the U.S. It's raised $76 million from powerful investors, including people like Mark Zuckerberg, just since 2017. My first question is this. Are you familiar with Title V of the Code of Federal Regulations, which addresses the rules of impartiality for executive branch employees and officials?
2: I am very familiar with it, and I want to be clear once again that there's nothing in this memorandum which has any effect on the kinds of curriculums that are taught or the ability of. Parents to complain about the kinds of... I
5: understand parents. your position on, on the free speech of parents. Position. It, it is wait, wait, just a minute. The, the question is, the question is, the thing that is concerning many of those parents that are showing up at these school board meetings, the, the, the very basis of their objection and their vigorous debate, as you mentioned earlier, is the curricula, the very curricula, that your son-in-law
0: is selling. Boom! By the way, I don't know if you all heard of that, Boom!
5: So to millions of Americans, I mean, my constituents, I was home all weekend, I got an earful about this. They're very concerned about that. Subpart E of that federal regulation says an employee of the executive branch is discouraged from engaging in conduct that's likely to affect the financial interest of someone close to them. Your your son-in-law, your daughter, uh, clearly meets that definition. And, and so the question is, uh, did, did you follow that regulation? Did you have the appropriate agency ethic official look into this? Did you seek guidance as the federal regulation requires?
2: This memorandum is aimed at violence and threats of violence.
0: In other words, I'm not going to answer the question.
2: I understand that, but no did, you, did, you see, excuse me, did you seek
5: ethics counsel before you issued a letter that directly relates to the financial
2: interest of your family? Yes or no? this memorandum does not relate to the financial interests of anyone it's a it's against i take that as a no i take that as a no
0: memorandum is
2: against violence and threats of violence
0: yeah which there haven't been any to
2: speak of
5: will will you mr attorney general will you commit to having the appropriate ethics designee review the case and make the results public
2: This memorandum is aimed at violence and threats of violence. I
5: understand your talking point. You're not answering my question, Mr. Attorney General. With all due respect, will you submit to an ethics review of this matter, yes or no?
2: There is no company in America or hopefully no law-abiding citizen in America who believes that threats of violence should not be prevented.
0: But this is not about threats of violence. This is about calling parents who show up, and wait for hours to speak at school board meetings concerned about the racist curricula that their children are being taught, this critical race theory, that Merrick Garland's son-in-law is making money off of. has nothing to do with violence or threats of violence. Merrick Garland is an evil, duplicitous man, and he knows that. And so talking points are all he has. I'm reminded of the great philosopher George Costanza who told Jerry Seinfeld, Jerry, it's not a lie if you believe it, Jerry.
2: There are no conflicts of interest that anyone could have. According to you, but sir, with due respect, that's the purpose of the federal
5: regulation. We need objective third parties to review our activities. You don't get to make that decision yourself. It doesn't matter. You're the top, you're the chief law enforcement of this country. This raises questions in the minds of millions of Americans, and your impartiality is being called into
2: question. Why would you not submit to a simple ethics review of that? I am exquisitely aware of the ethics requirements. But you're not following them. I have followed them and lived with them for the last 25 years. Did you seek an ethics review of this or not? I'm going to say again. There are no conflicts of interest involved when the Justice Department... Okay, okay.
5: According to you, I got that. I'm not trying to be disrespectful,
2: but you are not respecting
5: our rules, our constitutional norms, and the federal law that directly applies to your activities. This is a great concern. This is why people are losing faith in our institutions. They're losing faith in this Department of Justice. And you and I both know, as constitutional attorneys, that if if the people lose their faith... In our system of justice, if they lose their faith in the idea that justice is blind, that there are not two standards, that there's one standard of the
2: law,
4: and that every time, time of the, the gentleman has expired, would the Attorney General like to respond to the innuendo?
2: No, I, all I can say is I completely agree that the rule of law and respect for it is essential. And uh, I will always do everything possible to uphold that and to avoid any kind of conflict of interest. But you will not submit to an ethics
4: time effort. of the gentleman has expired. Well, I would just time put out, of the gentleman. Has wasn't innuendo; expired. Expired. it was a question. Thank you. It was a question. Thank question you. Is, is the is, is editorial the comments from the chair about the, other people's the, questions is not appreciated by this General. side of the aisle.
0: So there you go. Takes you back to what I've been saying this whole time. Whoever is pulling Biden's strings and gave him the list of people to nominate to different positions made sure that all of these people are on the same page and realize that lying to serve what they think is the greater good is the way to go. And that's what you just heard. That's exactly what you just heard. It's a conflict of interest. We all know it's a conflict of interest. You know it. I know it. The congressman knows it. And for sure, the attorney general knows it. And yet, and yet, he says it's not a conflict of interest. It's an outrage. It is an absolute outrage. Merrick Garland's son in law is making money off critical race theory, and Merrick Garland is using the power of the Justice Department and the FBI to intimidate parents who have the gall to say, wait a minute, I don't want my kids taught that. They have the gall to actually show up at school board meetings. Do you know what um, Terry McAuliffe, former governor of Virginia, who's running for governor again, do you know what he said recently? He said, I don't think parents have the right to tell schools what they can and can't teach their children. Just thought you'd know. By the way, that is a mainstream position among Democrat politicians. That is very well accepted. So... The hope is that people will start to realize this. Now, I need to share with you a brief article from Julie Kelly in American Greatness, New Capital Video, Contradicts Justice Department Media Narrative on January 6th. But first... I'm going to take just a moment, less than 30 seconds to get a drink of water and clear my throat and whatever, and remind you how you can contact us if you should so choose. Here we go. You're listening to The Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays on the Podbean app, which you can download to your smartphone. The show is also available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609-3711. All right, uh, let me um, just share with you briefly Julie Kelly's new article in American Greatness over the objection of Joe Biden's Justice Department. A lengthy video clip showing U.S. Capitol Police allowing hundreds of people into the building on the afternoon of January 6th has finally been released to the public. In July, a guy named Ethan Nordine, an alleged Proud Boy member, charged for various crimes, now held in a Seattle jail awaiting trial, petitioned the court to remove the highly sensitive designation on surveillance video that recorded Nordine entering the building with permission by U.S. Capitol police. A group called the Press Coalition, representing news organizations, including. CNN, the New York Times, and the three major broadcast news networks filed a motion in September to intervene in Nordeen's case and make the video footage public. The full recording was posted on Twitter by BuzzFeed reporter Zoe Tillman earlier this week. Capturing the activity in a small hallway in the Upper West Side Terrace of the Capitol building, The clip runs from 2.25 p.m. until about 3 p.m. January 6th. This is about 10 minutes after Dominic Pizzola, another alleged proud boy, used a riot shield to smash a window. And right after, House and Senate chambers were evacuated. At the start of the video, one officer held open the interior door that accesses the Capitol Rotunda, a space between the House and Senate wings. Five or six unidentified men exited the door and spoke to the officer before leaving. Those men held open the exterior double doors where protesters began filing into the building. Nordine's lawyer said his client is recorded entering the building with, with the consent of police between two thirty seven and two thirty eight PM. Capitol Police officers stood in the small hallway between the exterior and interior doors for the next few minutes. Dozens of people entered as police did not attempt to stop them. At one point, several officers can be seen talking with a crowd of people attempting to come inside. One officer then pulled aside another officer speaking with the protesters. This appeared to be shortly after Ashley Babbitt was shot by Officer Michael Byrd outside the Speaker's lobby, and the officers retreated. Protesters followed the officers inside. The recording confirms what Senator Ron Johnson, Republican of Wisconsin, detailed in a letter to Yogananda Pittman, the former acting head of the Capitol Police, sent in June of this year. Senator Johnson, one of the few members of Congress with access to the secret recordings, estimated 309 protesters entered the building at the Upper West Terrace without resistance from Capitol Police. The footage... Just a slice of the 14,000 hours of surveillance video the Justice Department of Capitol Police want kept under strict protective orders, this footage clearly contradicts many of the government's allegations about what actually happened on January 6th. Hundreds of January 6th defendants have been charged with trespassing or parading in the Capitol when this video clearly provides law enforcement held open doors and did not stop protesters from coming inside. Mr. Nordine is accused of forcibly entering the building. He faces two felony counts for conspiracy and obstruction of an official proceeding. He's been incarcerated since his arrest in February of this year. His trial is not set until May of next year. Wow. Wow. That is really something. That is really something. Now, one of the things that a lot of us learned from the Obama administration is that they try to flood the zone with so many different crises that you can't keep up. You can't keep up. And that's what's going on now. And so there's, there's, there's one that I want to share with you. Details of how the Democrats $3.5 trillion spending bill would destroy what's left of our freedom. Apparently the only thing standing in the way of this coming to fruition is the refusal of two Democrat senators, Kirsten Sinema, Arizona, and Joe Manchin, West Virginia, to vote for it. So we need to pray that they stand firm. The survival of our country is at stake. And this is from the other day, Chairman Jim Banks of the Republican Study Committee. And let me just uh, run through this for you. First of all, the top line. They say, we as congressional Republicans have an urgent duty to tell the truth about what's really in the Democrats' $3.5 trillion big government socialist takeover and warn the American people what's coming. The bill is a disaster and should be polling at 20%. We all know it. So how can we explain the 52 to 55% approval it's garnered in the polls? The chief reason that it keeps polling favorably is because we haven't done a good enough job letting the American people know what's in it. Here's what happens to public opinion when the public learns what's in the in these Democrat bills. In March, before Democrats' $1.9 trillion package passed, 70% of Americans said they favored it. Polled again in August, 5 months after the bill was enacted, only 35% of Americans said the bill was helping improve the economy or will do so in the future. This is the Democrat strategy. They played high the ball with the bill text so as not to tip off the public as to what they're putting in their bills. Then they bring it to the floor and tout some poll numbers and scare their members into voting for it. Luckily, due to Democrats' stalled legislative agenda, we have bill text and a window into their plan. If we effectively communicate about this bill, we'll see those poll numbers drop. Jim Banks, head of the Republican Study Committee in the U.S. House, says, I've directed staff at the committee to pour over the bill's pages and produce for you a summary of the worst parts of the bill. Please read and share these points on social media, newsletters, uh, opinions, editorials, and whatever other format you use to get your message out. Well, how about the uh, the Doc Washington Show's live stream slash podcast? Why don't we do it here, all right? Number one, Democrats' $3.5 trillion spending bill will perpetuate the labor shortage. It will continue welfare benefits without work requirements for able-bodied adults without dependents at a time when there are over 10 million job openings, more openings than there are people looking for work. Number two, number two. <clears throat> Democrats' $3.5 trillion spending bill commissions a climate police Democrats stuffed $8 billion into the bill to commission a cabal of federally funded climate police called the Civilian Climate Corps who will conduct progressive activism on the taxpayer's dime. Wouldn't you like to see that? Hey, 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 you cattle farmer over there. Don't you know the cow flatulence leads to global warming? Got to get rid of them. Number three, pushes Green New Deal in our public schools. Requires funding for school construction be used largely on enrollment diversity and Green New Deal agenda items. Number four, pushes Green New Deal in our universities. Democrats include a $10 billion environmental justice higher education slush fund to indoctrinate college students and advance Green New Deal policies. Number five forces faith-based child care providers out. The bill blocks the ability of many faith-based providers from participating in the child care system and will lead to many of their closures. Number six, hurts small and in-home daycares, requires pre-K staff to have a college degree. Great. What could go wrong? Number seven, includes new incentives for illegal immigration. That's right. In the Democrats' $3.5 trillion spending bill, illegal immigrants will be eligible to take advantage of Democrats' new free college entitlement, as well as be eligible for additional student aid and the enhanced child child tax credit. Number eight, includes legislative hall for Biden's vaccine mandate. So increases OSHA penalties on businesses that fail to implement the vaccine mandate up to $700,000 per violation and includes $2.6 billion in funding for the Department of Labor to increase enforcement of these penalties. Number nine, gives unions near total control. The bill includes insane prohibitions, that would bind employers' hands in union disputes and dangerously tilt the balance of power, subjecting employers to penalties that exempt union bosses and officials. Among other things, this bill would, would prevent employers from permanently replacing striking workers. It coerces businesses to meet union boss demands by increasing Fair Labor Standards Act's penalties by an astronomical 900%. Number 10 makes unions bigger and more powerful. The bill would subsidize union dues that would only serve to strengthen the influence of union bosses and not american workers. Number 11 pushes Democrats wasteful and confusing school lunch agenda. $643 million for among other things, procuring culturally appropriate foods. Number 12, furthers radical abortion agenda, does not include the Hyde Amendment and would mandate taxpayers pay for abortions. Number 13, drives up costs on Americans' utility bills, issues a punitive methane tax, and includes a tax on natural gas of up to $1,500 per ton that could cost the American economy up to $9.1 billion and cost 90,000 Americans their jobs. Number 14, includes dangerous and deadly green energy mandate. Effectively forces Americans to get 40% of their energy from wind, solar, and other unreliable forms of energy within eight years. Reliance on those energy sources has proven deadly. Number 15, includes kickbacks for the left's Green Energy Special Interest Network, $5 billion for environmental and climate justice block grants, and another $100 billion in Green Energy Special Interest Subsidies, loans, and other carve-outs. Number 16 gives wealthy Americans tax credits. $222 billion in Green Energy tax credits will be given to those who can afford expensive electric vehicles, and other green, innovative products. Number 17. Of course they got this. Furthers Democrats' social justice agenda. Includes equity initiatives throughout the bill, and in one instance, Democrats inserted equity language into a title which should have been focusing on the maintenance of the United States' cybersecurity efforts. Number 18 grants amnesty for millions of illegal immigrants. House Democrats have included in their reconciliation bill a plan to grant amnesty to around 8 million illegal immigrants at a cost of around $100 billion over 10 years that would largely be spent on welfare and other entitlements. Trillions more, trillions with a T, with a T-R, trillions more will be spent long-term on their Social Security and Medicare. Number 19, open borders even wider. The bill would waive many grounds for immigration inadmissibility, including infection or lack of vaccination status during a pandemic. Sound familiar? Failure to attend removal proceedings in previous immigration cases and the previous renouncement of American citizenship. Homeland Security may also waive previous convictions for human trafficking, narcotics violations, and illegal voting. Number 20, increases visa limit. At least 226,000 family preference visas would be administered each year. Again, under the Democrats' proposed $3.5 trillion spending bill. Number 21, grants fast-tracked green cards for those seeking middle-class careers in America. Language included in this bill exempts certain aliens from the annual green card statutory limits and has been described as a hidden pipeline for U.S. employers to flood more cheap foreign graduates into mi- millions of middle-class careers needed by American graduates. Do you see what the, uh, the CEO of Domino said the other day? He said, we need more uh, immigrants coming in. Can't find enough Americans to work. It's almost like it's intentional, right? Number 22. Increases pork for Nancy Pelosi. No, no, no. She does not keep kosher. $200 million is earmarked for the Presidio Trust in Speaker Pelosi's congressional district. Number 23. Increases energy dependence on OPEC, Russia, and China. This bill prohibits several mineral and energy withdrawals. It overturns provisions included in the tax cuts and jobs act that authorized energy production in the Arctic that will result in 130,000 Americans losing their jobs and $440 billion in lost federal revenue. And the mineral withdrawals it prohibits would ironically include minerals necessary for renewable energy sources. You know, With everything that's been going on since January 20th, the economy in turmoil, businesses not able to stay open for all of their working hours because there are not enough employees, the supply chain problems, Americans left behind in Afghanistan at the mercy of the Taliban, I mean, just scratching the surface, everything going on. I take you back to what Trump said fall of last year. If Biden gets in the Oval Office, China takes over. The current administration is intentionally trying to bring this country to its knees. All right, back to more of the 42 reconciliation policies to wreck America in the fiscal year 2022 budget, the $3.5 trillion spending bill the Democrats are pushing. Number 24, exacerbates the chip shortage. The bill would mandate the conversion of the entire federal vehicle fleet from internal combustion engines to electric engines at a time when there is a global microchip shortage and crippled supply chains. Number twenty-five, Democrats' feckless China bill is included. Concepts from the insanely weak Endless Frontier Act included, including eleven billion dollars in research funding that will likely result in American intellectual property going to China. Number twenty-six chases green energy pipe drains, Two hundred sixty-four million dollars to the EPA to conduct research with left-wing environmental justice groups on how to transition away from fossil fuels. Yeah, good luck with that. Number 27, fixes so-called racist roads and bridges. I didn't know roads and bridges could be racist. Adds a nearly $4 billion slush fund that would help left-wing grassroots organizations that, among other things, want to tear down and rebuild or otherwise alter infrastructure deemed to be racist. What on earth? Number 28, can't make this stuff up, punishes red states for failing to adopt Green New Deal provisions. So this $3.5 trillion Democrat spending bill would mandate consequences for conservative states that don't meet the, the radical left's green climate standards while at the same time adding nearly 4 billion dollars for community climate incentive grants for cooperating for cooperating states number 29 includes new massive bankrupting entitlement the new paid leave entitlement would mandate workers get 12 weeks of paid leave and would cost $500 billion over 10 years, according to the Congressional Budget Office. It would apply to those making up to half a million dollars a year. Yeah, because people making half a million dollars a year, they, they need 12 weeks of paid leave off a year. Paid leave by the government. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Money goes on trees, absolutely. All right. Number 30. Advances a totalitarian and paternalistic view of the federal government. Includes grants for organizations to treat individuals suffering from quote, loneliness, unquote, and quote, social isolation, unquote. Yeah, Uncle Sam will take care of you if you're lonely. Really? Really? Number 31. Further detaches individuals from employment, and makes them more reliant on government handouts. The bill spends $835 billion on welfare through manipulating the tax code, not including the expansions of Obamacare subsidies. They don't want people working. They're trying to crash this economy. Number 32, tax benefits for the top 1%. The bill will possibly lift the SALT deduction cap, meaning Many of the top 1% wealthiest Americans would pay less in taxes. Isn't that interesting? Because the Democrats are always complaining that the wealthy don't pay enough in taxes. Would it shock you if I told you liberal politicians oftentimes speak out both sides of their mouth? They say one thing over here, but they do something else over there. Would that shock you, really? Number 33, tax credit for wealthy donors who give to woke universities. The bill creates a new tax credit program that gives tax credits worth 40% of cash contribution that are made to university research programs. Number 34. The $3.5 trillion Democrat spending bill, if they get it passed, would expand the worst parts of Obamacare. Obamacare's job-killing job employer mandate will become more severe by adjusting the definition of affordable coverage to mean coverage that costs no more than 8.5% of income rather than the current law's 9.5% of income. Number 35, increases taxes on Americans at every income level. Wait, 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 wait. I thought Dementia Joe and White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki kept on insisting nobody who makes under $400,000 a year will have their taxes raise one penny. Have they said that? But here it is, $2 trillion in tax hikes will fall on those making under $400,000 per year. Contrary to what the White House says, individuals at all income levels will be affected. Number 36, lowers wages for working families. The corporate tax rate will increase by 5.5%, meaning American companies will face one of the highest tax burdens in the world According to analysis, two-thirds of this tax hike will fall on lower and middle-income taxpayers. Number 37, penalizes marriage. The bill would permanently double the EITC's marriage penalty on childless worker benefits. Number 38, I'm sorry, EITC, earned income tax credit. Number 38, imposes crushing taxes on small business guts the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act small business deductions that reduced pass-through entity taxes to keep them comparable to taxes imposed on corporations as well as hammer small businesses that file as individual tax earners with the 39.6% rate and Obamacare's 3.8% tax on net investment income. Number 39 crushes family businesses and farms. The bill would impose a 25% capital gains rate and make ale- and make alterations to the death tax, including cutting the dex ta- death tax exemption in half. Number 40, violates Americans' financial privacy, $80 billion slush fund, to hire an 87,000 IRS agent army to carry out the Biden administration's plan to review every account above a $600 balance or with more than $600 of transactions in a year. Now, they've recently said, oh, no, we'll make it $10,000. we will make it 10000 which would still affect everybody because if more than $10,000 traverse through your bank account in one year, which that affects everybody, they're still going to go over you with a fine-tooth comb. Isn't that great? What did uh, Ronald Reagan one time say? The um, seven scariest words anybody can hear. We're from the government and we're here to help you. I guess it's 10 scariest words. Number 41, increases out-of-pocket costs for those who rely on prescription drugs. The bill repeals the Trump-era Rebate rule, which passes through rebates directly to consumers at the point of sale. You remember one of the the first things Biden did when he got into office was to sharply increase the price of insulin for diabetics. Remember that? Last but not least, number 42 of the horrible reconciliation policies to wreck America and the Democrats' $3.5 trillion bill, spending bill they're trying to get passed. Number 42, imports policies from countries with socialized medicine. The bill includes health care policies imported from systems in Australia, Canada, France, Germany, Japan, and the United Kingdom, all countries that have government-run health care systems. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember the United Kingdom, their National Health Service, telling parents... Of a little boy named Charlie Guard, that their son, their little toddler, must die, and the parents said, "Well, look, um, got some doctors in Italy. You want to take a look at him? And um, the, the the plane ticket is paid for. So let us just take our son. And you know, nope, he's got to die here. That's what happens when you have government run." Socialized medicine. Parents have to sit and watch as the government kills their child. You see? We can't put up with that. We cannot put up with that. Uh, By the way, wonder what Biden has to say. Let's find out what Biden has to say. This is a dementia Joe. I'd ride every day. I,
4: I commuted every single day for 36 years as President, Vice President of the United States. After my wife and daughter were killed, I went home to see my family. Never stopped.
0: Really? See, because I always thought he was only Vice President for uh, eight years. Did you catch what he just said? He just told you that he was vice president for 36 years. Um, I would think that would be a big surprise to, to Dick Cheney. I would think that would be a big surprise to Al Gore. Right? I would think that would be a big surprise to uh, Dan Quayle. George H.W. Bush? Hey, do you guys know Biden was vice president for 36 years? How long? How long until they uh, pull the 25th Amendment on this clown? 25th Amendment, in case you're wondering, is the uh, amendment to the United States Constitution that allows the vice president if she has half the cabinet agreeing with her to become president in the event that the vice president and at least half the cabinet agree that the president is no longer able to fulfill his duties. All right. And a lot of people think that's going to happen soon. I think they're going to wait to at least January 21st, 2023 because constitution says if you're a vice president and you become president before the current president has been able to get halfway through his term, then you can run one time after that but not two. But if you replace the president who has gotten more than halfway through his term, then you can run in 2024 and 2028. Just For what it's worth, for what it's worth. Because you know that Kamala is Barack's gal. You know that Kamala is the one that Barack wanted to be president in the first place. Got it? So, so that's the deal. I don't know if I've mentioned this before on the podcast, on the live stream of the podcast, but when everybody was wondering, okay, who is Biden going to name as his vice presidential nominee? And he stepped up to the podium one day holding a, a clipboard, and on the backside of the clipboard, he had a piece of paper with bullet points about how wonderful Kamala Harris was. And everybody at that point said, oh, well, then Kamala is going to be the Veep. That's going to be the vice, president, vice presidential nominee. And clearly somebody else had written this, this stuff out for, for Biden. And sure enough, a few days later, that's who he named. Now, before I get out of here, I, I, I got to share this one more story with you here. NIH contradicts Fauci admits funding gain of function research at Wuhan lab. Okay, so in a sane world he should be indicted by now. Yesterday, molecular biologist Richard HE Bright posted a letter from the National Institute of Health showing that an NIH grant did fund gain of function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology contrary to what Dr. Anthony Fauci had testified to the Senate. Fauci testified to senators at a hearing in May that the NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. However, the NIH's October 20th letter to the House Oversight Committee ranking member James Comer, Republican Kentucky, Showed that the NIH grant, which was awarded to EcoHealth Alliance and then sub-awarded to the Wuhan lab, did fund a research project during 2018 and 2019 that tested, quote, if spike proteins from naturally occurring bat coronaviruses circulating in China were capable of binding to the human ACE2 receptor in a mouse model, unquote. The letter added, quote, in this limited experiment... Laboratory mice infected with the SHC 014 WIV1 back coronavirus became sicker than those infected with the WIV1 back coronavirus. Unquote. According to the Department of Health and Human Services, gain of function research is research that improves the ability of a pathogen to cause disease. So, this Ebright guy, this is amazing molecular biologist Richard H. Ebright. Tweeted that in the letter, the NIH corrects untruthful assertions by NIH, recently retired NIH Director Francis Collins and NIAID Director Anthony Fauci that NIH had not funded gain of function research in Wuhan. Furthermore, Ebright noted the NIH's letter appeared to show that EcoHealth Alliance actually violated the terms and conditions of the NIH grant. The NIH said, out of an abundance of caution and additional layer of oversight, language was included in the terms and conditions of the grant awards to EcoHealth that outlined criteria for a secondary review, such as a requirement that the grantee report immediately a one-log increase in growth. It continued. These measures would prompt a secondary review to determine whether the research aims should be reevaluated or new biosafety measures should be enacted. EcoHealth failed to report this finding right away, as was required by the terms of the grant. Now, the letter pointed out the coronaviruses studied under the grant were unlikely to have become SARS CoV 2, now commonly referred to as the coronavirus or COVID 19. But Senator Rand Paul. Republican Kentucky, whose questioning had led to Fauci's denial that NIH was funding gain-of-function research at Wuhan lab in May, tweeted out, quote, I told you so, doesn't even begin to cover it here, unquote. Senator Tom Cotton, Republican Arkansas, who was mocked for suggesting the coronavirus might have escaped from the Wuhan lab, also weighed in on the NIH's letter, tweeting, quote, Fauci knew he should be investigated and prosecuted to the full extent of the law, unquote. Former U.S. Representative Mark Meadows, North Carolina, who was also President Trump's chief of staff at one point, tweeted out, quote, To call this a bombshell is an understatement. Dr. Fauci and others claimed under oath the NIH didn't fund gain of research function in the Wuhan lab. Now the obvious is confirmed. They did, unquote. Representative Dan Bishop, Republican, North Carolina, tweeted out, Evergreen tweet, Fauci lied again. Of course, Dr. Fauci has yet to respond in writing. What a shock. What a shock that is. Dr. Fauci yet to respond. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Fauci lied, people died. He should be in jail. And so, so should the guy who threatened to kill Matt Gates, which is kind of what we started off with today, a, uh, a lunatic threatens to kill U.S Representative Matt Gates drives all the way from Portland, Oregon to Washington DC. Capitol Hill Police say he should be arrested, and Biden's Justice Department's like, "No, I don't think so." No, we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're not going to deal with that. We're not going to deal with that. You know, I I I know we're running long today. Can I can I just do one more, please? Can I just do one more? Me over at AmericanThinker.com. Little article here entitled, Why is the medical profession letting us die? Pretty good question, isn't it? And he says, thank you, Dr. Brian Deff for your article on aspirin as a potential part of the COVID-19 treatment regimen and for mentioning ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine as similar safe and potentially effective therapeutics. Here are a couple more to be considered. Please note, I'm not a physician and I'm not dispensing medical advice. I'm just commenting on publicly available information. So you got bromhexine, an ingredient found in some cough suppressants, may work due to its protease inhibitor functions, according to a paper released May 2020. It appears to have use as both a prophylactic and a treatment. A number of antihistamines, including diphenhydramine, sold under label as Benadryl, and found in many other over-the-counter formulations, seem to be effective against SARS-CoV-2. This information was released January 2021. So many observational data have come out since the beginning of this pandemic. So many potential therapeutic and preventative treatments, yet so little interest on the part of medical boards and policymakers. What is going on here? It's my belief, reluctantly arrived at over more than a year, that medical and political policymakers do not have our best interests at heart. They want the power, they want the glory, and they want the pats on their narcissistic little heads. They want to be mommy and daddy and nurse and the only adults in the entire country capable of making medical decisions for the rest of us. Medical professionals are permitted to prescribe drugs as they see fit, even for off-label use. They do this hoping the drugs will be effective in treating their patients and improving their conditions and lives. Prescribing a drug or regimen that does not have specific FDA approval for a specific use is perfectly legal and done all the time. The media, the CDC, and Dr. Fauci seem to have conflated FDA approval with the only legal means whereby drugs can be prescribed. This is simply wrong. So why are healthcare providers not throwing the kitchen sink at this disease? Easily answered with another question. Why are politicians setting themselves up as the chief medical officers of their jurisdictions? Looks as if the Obamacare mentality of, we know what's medically best for all of you, has evolved. Now, not only can't you pick your doctor, but your doctor can no longer provide simple, effective, and low-cost treatments for a a super-powerful common cold. By withholding potentially effective treatments, medical professionals are letting us die. By threatening the livelihoods of medical professionals should they try everything for their patients, the politicians and policymakers are killing us. They could stop this pandemic in its tracks if they would simply get out of the way and let the medical professionals do their work. They paid dearly to acquire their expertise. Let's let them exercise it for the sake of all of us. That's why we, the people, are doing what we can to stay immunologically strong. We're supplementing our our diets with vitamin D3, for example. When I caught the COVID back in April 2020, my doctor's office told me, don't come in, but if you feel too sick, go to the hospital. In the face of so much more information on the disease in the public domain now that wasn't available then, I'm disgusted. That people are still getting the same ineffective advice. That's also why we are trying to help ourselves as best we can with available over the counter medications. When the study confirming that ivermectin and these other common drugs could have stopped this pandemic cold finally comes out, I hope those who have lost loved ones take the weasels, the policymakers, and the medical boards that prevented medical professionals from administering and prescribing legal and effective treatments for everything they've got and then some. How will they know they can sue for this? Because those same policymakers decided who would have the pandemic listed as their cause of death on their officially issued death certificates. Wow. Me is a retired public servant, and that is the person who wrote that article over an American thinker. I'll put it up on my Facebook page here in a little bit. I guess this is the longest uh, Doc Washburn show live stream slash podcast we've done yet, but all good things come to a close. Uh, you guys be praying for U.S. Representative Matt Gates. There is a significant credible threat to his life, and the Biden Justice Department refuses to arrest the guy who threatened to kill him. We look forward to doing this again tomorrow, God willing. I appreciate you guys. This has been Episode 8 of the Doc Washburn Show live stream slash podcast. Signing off. See you tomorrow.